All right. Um, we have, you guys have been studying Galatians um, over the last few weeks, and this is going to be our last. We're going to look at chapter 5 today. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. This is a, a, a chapter that I, I really like. It's a, it's a, I don't know, sort of a fun chapter that Paul writes. But um, I want to start out by having you guys look at some artwork, and you'll understand why hopefully in a second. So can you bring up one of those pieces of art for me, please? Okay, this is... This is a delightful piece called Number Six, Violet Green Red. Okay? This is is a work of art. Okay? Um, Just think in your mind of how much this painting is worth. Just nothing. Wow. They do not appreciate art. This painting sold for $186 million. Yeah, I know. I questioned all my life choices, too. All right, um, can I see the next one? Yes. Yes. This was actually bought by a, a, um, a web entrepreneur, so this actually sold for this. I don't have a name for this painting, but I, I just want you to soak it in, okay? Um, this painting sold for $43 million. I'm not kidding you. I don't. All right, then this last one. This last one? Yes. Yes. I know you're like, no, my four-year-old did this on accident. They did not. Okay. This particular scribble thing here is worth $23 million. Okay. Now, I show you these to tell you that I don't get art. Okay. I don't, I don't get it. Right. I, I, I see these paintings and I know I'm supposed to appreciate something. I have been to very famous museums. I have been to the Louvre. I've been to the Van Gogh Museum. I have seen these things and I don't get art. I I apologize. I I don't. I don't know how to appreciate it. I don't know what I'm supposed to be appreciating. I don't understand why this is worth what it's worth. But I think that is very much the position that, that these churches in Galatia found themselves in at this time. Because you have to understand where they're at. They are not Jewish by birth. They are not Hebrews. They are Greeks and Romans and everything in between. They don't have the background and the history that the Jewish people had. All they know is that they've heard about this guy named Jesus. They believe he is who he said he was. And they're trying to follow him. After that, they don't have a clue. They don't get it. So they're looking at the, the, the Torah. What we have is the Old Testament. They're looking at the law and they're saying, well, do we do this? Do we follow this? Paul had come, he had taught them, and then he had left. And so you find these churches after Jesus leaves um, throughout Ephesus, Rome, even in Jerusalem. The disciples are trying to figure out, okay, now that Jesus came, what do we do? What does following Jesus look like? What does being a follower in, in, the, in the early church, it, they were actually called followers of the way. That was the, the, what was ascribed to them. So what does it mean to be a follower of the way? And I feel like for a lot of the Galatians, they probably looked at this like the art and said, I don't get it. I don't get it. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to? They had never done, you know, what we have now with communion and Passover They didn't have that history. Their parents didn't tell them the stories and the lineage. They don't have that. And so they're going, what do we do? What does it look like? 
And so Paul is writing to these churches in this Galatia area, and he's saying, look, now that you are a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like. And what they're really confused on, that Cord and Ryan have done a really good job over the past few weeks of, of going through, is law versus grace. Well, do we follow all the law in the Old Testament? Do we not? Do we, we, do we you know, follow these traditions and customs? Do we not? What do we do? And so I, I saw even a couple weeks ago, Cord even had the whiteboard out. You guys went through a, a deep dive in the whiteboard. Um, and so I think you guys have gotten a pretty good um, view of that. And so I hope with Galatians 5 today, we'll get to take a little bit different look at what Paul is trying to teach them about what it means to walk um, with Jesus, to walk out after the law in this new way um, that we find ourselves in with Jesus, which is the same place we find ourselves in today. So in Galatians chapter 5, um, we're actually going to break this up a little bit. So we're not going to read it all at once. We're going to read some some chunks of it, okay? Um, and so in verse 1, Paul is writing to the Galatians and he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, that seems redundant, but I want to I hang out here for a second. Just one second. What is the whole purpose of Jesus coming? Freedom. Literally, for freedom, Jesus came to set you free. The whole entirety of what he did was for freedom. And then if you go down uh, to verses 5 and 6, it says, For through the Spirit we eagerly, eagerly await, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. And I will translate that to you, the law. Following the law or not following the law has any value. But, and here is the, the most substantial part of this whole chapter, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Following the law or not following the law is of no value. The only thing that counts, Paul tells them, is faith expressing itself through love. And he continues in through this debate about law, which we're kind of going to skip over because you've hit a lot of that in Galatians. And then in verse 13, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, what you want, the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, I just want to point out, if you could go back there for a second. There are three hard words in this one tiny sentence. Okay? Serve, humbly, and love. (laughs) There's three really hard words in one sentence right in there. And Paul's saying, the whole point of the freedom you have been given is that you, in humility, serve one another. It's the whole point of the freedom that you've been given. And he finishes here where he says, For the entire law, all the stuff before, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this first part of the chapter, the first thing we see about living in the Spirit, is that living in the Spirit is not easier, but it's better. Okay, that's the first point I want you to see. It's not easier, but it's better. And people think that living under grace is easier, right? I'm not under the law. I'm free. Life is easy. It's not easy. It's actually harder to live under grace than the law. And I'll tell you this story. I I have a, I have a dog, um, a little dog, and um, don't judge me, but she eats what I eat. Okay, like I have dog food, but when I eat, she eats. Okay. 
Look, you raise your dog, I'll raise my dog, okay? I mean, it's fine, okay? Um, we've been together a long time. And the other day I was eating hooligans, okay? And um, I gave her a, a piece of celery, to which she enjoyed. She chomped it up, right? Then I gave her a piece of seasoned fry, to which she chomped it up and really enjoyed it. Then I gave her another piece of celery, to which she left it on the ground, searching for more fry. Because here's the thing, okay? Celery is fine until you've had a seasoned fry dipped in hooligan's ranch, okay? Then why would you waste your time eating celery? My dog gets it, okay? And that was Jesus's whole point, and it's Paul's whole point. The law was fine. The law served its purpose. The law was good for us. But once you've tasted grace... Why would you choose to live under the law? If somebody told me I could eat fries for the rest of my life with no consequences, great. I will never touch celery again. And that's his whole point. Is that the law, there are over 600 laws in the Old Testament. That was fine. It served its purpose. And here's the thing. For the Hebrew nation, the law, living under the law, was, was kind of simple. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you couldn't do it all, but it was simple. It was black and white. It was this or that. If you screwed this up, there was a sacrifice. There was always a plan. It was very laid out. And then Jesus came and everyone said, yay, we don't have to follow rules anymore. Except that Jesus upped everything. Living under grace was never meant to be easier. Jesus would say things like, Um, You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, revenge. He said, but I'm telling you, love your enemies and do good to those who don't do good to you. What? Like, that's worse. That's way harder. Or he says, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Okay, black and white. But Jesus says, if you even look at someone else, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's worse. That's harder. We think that living under grace and freedom is just one big picnic. But Paul's whole point is that people who live under grace, the only end result for their freedom is people who love one another. That is the minimum expectation for freedom in the kingdom of God. It's literally, it's not a license and it's not legalism. It is the leading of love. That's what living under grace is. That's what freedom bought us. And here's the thing. This is really challenging. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That is much harder than do not lie, do not steal, right? Because we can go through a checklist at night and we go, yeah, I did that, I did that, I did that. But if I go, did I... Did I love people the way Jesus loves me? (laughs) Right? That's a lot tougher. That's a lot tougher when I go home and say, did I live my life today through the prism of humbly serving people around me in love? That's a lot harder box to check. And so the first thing that we learn from what Paul says is that living in the spirit is not easier, but it's better. It's better for our lives, and it's better for those around us. And the second point that he says here, and we're going to see this in the second half of the chapter, is that living in the Spirit changes everything. It changes everything. So not only is it better, but it changes everything. So in um, verses 13, oh, I'm sorry, we read 13. 
16, where we left off, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's not easier, but it's better. Okay? And now here's where it gets fun. He gives us a list of negatives and a list of positives. And he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Like, we don't need to be told the the sinful nature. We know them. But he's going to list them for our sake anyways, okay? He says sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, there's two things I want to point out about this list. A lot of times as Christians, we, um, again, we get that checklist out, right? And we're like, well, I didn't, I didn't swear today. Woo, check, right? I, I went to church today, check. And we, and we say, you know, there are these, there's these bigger sins and these things that are larger. But what's interesting about this list that Paul gives is that I'm pretty sure we can find ourselves in every part of this, right? So we say, well, I haven't fill in the blank, right? But what Paul includes in that list is jealousy, jealousy. Social media has made envy and jealousy so simple, right? <sighs> Why does their family look so much better than mine in photos? They, they actually like each other. What? You know, they, it's fine. They're just as messed up as you, but the picture looks great, right? Or, like, that's their third vacation. Like, six months. What am I doing? And we look at these people and their lives, and it's so easy to be jealous. What do you, they bought that car. They did that thing, right? This, this envy that piles up on us. He also gives in that list fits of rage, I think anger is an interesting emotion because we don't count it as an emotion. So we like to say, for example, that women are really emotional. We're really emotional because we don't count anger. Because anger is this acceptable emotion somehow. But Paul says it's not. For people who live in the spirit, fits of anger and rage do not reflect Jesus. And that is difficult. He also, um, he lists selfish ambition. I don't think anybody in this room would say, I don't have a problem with that. No, no. I'm always looking out for everyone else. I haven't thought about myself in at least a week. (laughs) The desire for self is, is intoxicating. It is fierce. Selfish ambition, right? And we, and the problem in our culture is we've told people that that is a noble pursuit. Work on you. Do what's best for you. If people aren't good for your life, meh. And Paul says, if you are in pursuit of you, you will not bear the fruit of the Spirit. And that's another really tough thing to do. And so he gives this whole list of all these negatives, and then he gets to the fruits of the Spirit. 
And I really want to look at these for a second. Now, if you grew up in the church um, like I did, you probably learned the fruits of the Spirit young. Like, they're a thing we love to teach kids, and there's usually a song, and it's fun. Or you're, like, picturing in your head a poster with, like, grapes and apples, and there's, like, fruit, you know, fruits of the Spirit labeled on it. And, like, we grew up with the fruits of the Spirit really early on. But I hope today to give this some maybe adult um, legs for you here. The first thing he says is love. And really every other fruit that he lists comes from that fruit. Love has to be the cornerstone. Now, um, there's a very, um, there's a misconception about love. And you may have heard this before. In, in the Greek language, there are four words for love. So they, we just have love in English because we're lazy. I don't know. Um, we're not very creative. Um, but the Greeks had a lot of different words. They had a love, um, you know, in a romantic sense. They had a love in a family sense. They had a love in a, a friendship sense. And then there is agape love. And most often when you see love in the New Testament, it is agape. It is the Greek word agape. And this word, you know, we like to say it's like God's love for us, but it's really much deeper than that. It is a choice, one, it's a decision love, where I choose to love you in spite of, or because, in, in, you know, because I'm going to, or no matter what has happened. It's a choice love. Here's the interesting thing. We get the word in English, agony, from agape. I know, some of y'all are going, yeah, love is agony. I, mm, yeah, right, I know. But, but it's not, it's not a, like, lovey-dovey kind, it is a, it's a gritty, hard choice. That's what it is. Agape love. It is a hard choice to suffer through, to pick someone else, to elevate somebody else above me. And 1 Corinthians 13 is a verse that um, probably a lot of people have heard um, because we like to read it at weddings. And no offense if you read this at your wedding, but I think it kind of does a disservice to the passage. I gotta be honest, because we think that the ultimate and only example of love is in marriage. I'm, that is one expression of love, but that is a small part of the whole of who we are in Jesus expressing love. And when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, he is not talking about husbands and wives. It is not that kind of love. He is using agape love. And so he goes through all of these things that don't matter. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, can you pull that up for him? Agape love, agony love, choice love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. There's that jealousy again. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. See how these keep piling on each other? It is not easily angered. I just want to tell you guys, um, I drive to school every day to work, um, way out 40. I work out in the sticks, and I, I drive way out into the woods. And about once a week, and I apologize if this is your car, there's a car, doesn't, they drive kind of slow. They have a kayak rack with a kayak on top, and there's a, they have a sticker on the back that says, I'd rather be kayaking. And I'm always like, yeah, me too, but I'm going to work. And I get like, I told the kids, I get like irrationally angry. Like this person did nothing to me and I'm just really angry that they're going kayaking and I'm going to high school, okay? Um, and, and so that's just, I, I, that's just me, I don't know. Um, but I think a lot of us when we drive, that's probably one of our most easily, easily angered there. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
I think, wait, go back. Go back for me. I think this is one of the most important um, trademarks of agape love. Because we as humans are so good at keeping records of wrongs. Not ours. We're glad God doesn't keep ours, right? But we're good at keeping other people's. We're really good at writing that ledger, right? No, it's fine. I forgive you. It's fine. Until like two weeks later. And then you're like, June 5th, 4.03. was a Tuesday. You were wearing a red sweater. And we have this, this record that we keep in our hearts. And I think that is such a hard part of agape love is to keep clearing people's ledgers like Jesus does for us. Man, it's a tough part. Uh, you can keep going. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects agony, choice love. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. And so that's, that's just the first fruit that Paul talks about. Then he goes on to joy. And some of you are, are really good at joy. Um, you, you have a good sense of joy, you know. You meet those people and you're just like, how are you doing? And they're like, I'm just blessed. I'm blessed. And you're like, man, you know. But when you meet someone that really has joy, it's, it's, it's really refreshing, you know. And it, and it's, it really kind of catches you off guard. Um, it could be, <laughs> I teach high school. There's not a lot of joy. Um, and so I, when people have that, it really uh, sticks out to me. He says, love, joy, uh, peace. Peace, I think, is a, is, a, is a tough one in today's society, right? Because we want to be warriors. We want to be Christians that fight for something, right? We want to be Christians that, that don't back down. And that, listen, that is important. But what Paul says is the fruit of the Spirit is peace. In fact, when Jesus was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he was giving all these people that would be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Um, blessed are these people. My favorite passage is, is Matthew 5, 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they're going to be called children of God. You want to be identified as a child of the King of Kings? You fight for peace. You be a peacemaker in a world where it feels like all anyone is doing is dividing. That people who reflect the spirit of God are peacemakers. Love, joy, peace. Now, some of you in your um, Bible, it might say patience. And now it says forbearance. And I think this is a really important, interesting word. Because we, we like who uses forbearance. I don't. Um, but if you look at the actual definition of forbearance, it usually refers to loans. Like financial loans. And this is, the, this is the, the, the legal definition. The action of refraining from exercising a legal right, especially enforcing the payment of a debt. So it is like you and I saying, you owe me a debt that I'm not going to collect. You know it and I know it and I'm not going to collect on it. You owe me, you have an outstanding ledger to me that I am going to not keep. Which is the exact picture of what God did for us. You have a debt to me. You have an outstanding ledger. And I'm not going to count it against you. And he keeps going. Um, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think what's, what's tough is, like I said earlier, I think most days when we go home, we'd like to check off a list of things that we didn't do. Right? Followed that law. Followed that rule. But I wonder what would change if at the end of the day, 
we looked at our day and said, when did I reflect the fruit of the Spirit? When did people see me and see the fruit of the freedom and the Spirit of Jesus that lives inside of me? Did I reflect the fruits of the Spirit with my kids? With my spouse? With my coworkers? With my adult parents? Did I reflect the fruits of the Spirit with people that don't even know me? Now listen, sometimes it's really hard, right? We're a work in progress. We're not going to get this right. I mean, geez, if you do, let me know if you get a day with all those because you're awesome, okay? Um, And I I know for me, man, some of these, some of them are harder for us than others. Some of them, depending on, on who you are or how you grew up, some of them are hard. It's hard for some of you to be peacemakers, Because what is in you is to fight. That's tough. It's hard for some of you to be patient because the house you grew up in, there wasn't a lot of that. It's hard for some of you to have joy because you fight things like depression and anxiety. But Paul says, if you want to look most like Jesus, these are the fruits that come out of your life. It's not a checklist of laws that you didn't break. It's not a thing that you law and check and you do all. It's, it is a reflection in these fruits that come out in your life. And so the second thing is that living in the spirit changes everything. I fully believe that if we live these things in our lives, we would change our life and we would change the lives of the people around us. We would change everything. What do people think of when they think of Christians? What's the first word that comes to their mind? I, I would hazard to say it's not any of those. It's not a single one of them. And John says that they will know we are Christians by our love. It's the whole way they'll even know that we are followers of this guy that we say we're followers of. And so my challenge to us and, and my challenge to me is that we start to filter our day through that. I was reading um, a book, and and I love the way this guy said it, because he said, you know, people want to know, like, is this a sin? Is that a sin? How close am I to a sin? Am I sinning now? Am I not? And he said, instead of asking those questions, what we should ask is, what does love require of me? Because we remember, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so I read this, and I thought, oh, that's great, right? What does love require of me? Until I woke up the next day, and I went to work. And somebody asked me to do something I really didn't want to do. And I couldn't stop this question in my brain. What does love require of me? Because love requires that I put you before me. And love requires that I serve you humbly. And love requires that that person that I don't like, who follows that political party, or that belief system, or that neighbor, or that co-worker, the people that are horrible to me, I still... As a person who lives in the freedom of grace, I'm called to serve them. And that's tough. And so my challenge to you is to filter that through. When you think about things, what does love require of me? What does loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving other people around me as myself, what does that require of me? Because I'll tell you this, it's not easier, but it's better. It's not easier, but it's better. And the last thing that we learn from living in the spirit is that living in the spirit builds legacy. I think the older we get, the more concerned with our legacy we become. When I was 17, I don't think I cared about my legacy. I just wanted to get out of high school. But the older I get, the more I think about 
what, you know, what are people going to think of me? What am I going to leave behind? Who am I going to leave behind? What, you know, we start to think about what are people going to say about me? And I want to tell you guys a, a quick story. If you ask me who my hero is, I would probably tell you it's my grandfather. Um, I have really awesome grandparents on both sides of my family. Um, I like to say that my mom's mom is like the Queen of England. She is like spitfire and um, fearless and smart. And I, I love so many things that I've gotten from her. But my, my dad's dad is the total opposite. And he has a, an interesting story. Um, his father was a World War I, I veteran who was an alcoholic and abusive and his mother died when he was very young. And his, his siblings all got split up. And he and his sister ended up getting shipped off to an orphanage in St. Louis. And while they were there, after a few years, a woman named Miss Pudding took them in. That's actually where we, our last name comes from. It is not our family name. And she took him in. And he ended up not finishing school. He, he left to help her work um, with all of like, her business because Mr. Pudding had died. And then he went to Korea um, and served in the military. And when he came back, I kid you not, he was riding his bicycle down the street. And he saw this girl gardening in the front yard. And they fell in love. Isn't that like, it's just, I know, it's like out of the notebook or something. Um, and they, they, they fell in love and they had, well, they had this first kid named Joe. And he was a doozy. Um <laughs> And then they, they, uh, they kept having kids, and my, my grandfather worked the late shift in a factory um, almost his whole life. And he would come home every night, and he would read the Bible, and he would eat sardines out of a can. But he exemplified to me the fruits of the Spirit more than anyone that I can think of. If you ask me why he's my hero, the older that I get, the more I realize the things that he showed. Patience. Kindness. Love, raising his kids to love Jesus, to have opportunities that he could never even have had. And I guarantee you, if you told him 20 years ago that his granddaughter would be on this stage, he wouldn't have believed you. And if you had told them that his son and his daughter-in-law would be part of building a church that reached almost every nation in the world, he wouldn't have believed you because he won't even get on an airplane. And if you had told him that he'd have grandkids from Ethiopia and China, he would never have believed you. But the fruits of the Spirit in his life built a legacy that lets me stand in front of you today knowing who I am in Jesus because of how he chose to build his life. He chose to build it on kindness and love. He chose at every opportunity to put someone else above himself even when he could have very easily picked himself. He never did. He never has. And his fruits of the Spirit are what have built a legacy in my life. And so I think as we think about our legacy and we think about what do I want to leave my kids? What do I want to leave my grandkids? What do I want to leave that kid in youth that really looks up to me? Or that kid in children's ministry? Or that kid that I teach? What do I want to leave? I think the greatest thing that we can leave is the fruits of the Spirit. Is that every time they think about us, they think about people who chose to walk in the Spirit. Who instead of picking fits of rage and dissension and jealousy, made a choice to pick love and joy and peace 
who chose to fight for peace, who chose to be patient and kind and gentle with us. That is what I think the legacy of the Spirit looks like. And I want to I close up with this verse. And um, I actually want to read you more than I have on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12. Um, the writer of Hebrews is telling the people the difference between the Old Testament, that old covenant living under the law, and the New Testament. And what it means for us as believers, how it changes things for us, okay? And what he writes is this. He says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And then he says this in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Can I tell you what your inheritance is as a child of God? You're getting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You're coming to thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. And if God is who he says he is, and we are who he says we are through Jesus, that we are children of the promise, that every inheritance that comes to Jesus is coming to us. One of the craziest verses in scripture says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and I. If the same power that left literally raised Jesus from the dead has taken up residence in us and we live under the freedom of that and we are heirs to all of this stuff in Jesus, then how can our response not be a response of a heart that lives in the spirit that picks it because it's better, that picks it because it changes everything and that picks it because it builds a legacy that actually counts? Don't forget what Paul says. Law, following it or not following, doesn't matter. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only ledger in the kingdom of heaven is faith expressing itself through love. I'd like to pray to close this out here. And I hope that you have um, learned something from this Galatians series. I know I have. Um, and through Cord and Ryan and now tonight, it's something uh, that Paul said to this church, these churches, many, many years ago, would still resonate with us when we walk out the door. And so I, I'm, I'm grateful for you guys. I, I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad that you have, have joined us. And I'm, I, again, I just want to say I'm really grateful to, to be here in the opportunity. So uh, I'll just pray to close this out. Um, if you would join me and uh, then we're just going to, we'll just dismiss from there. God, we come before you today so grateful, God, for the inheritance that is ours in Jesus, for a life in freedom in the spirit that you have given to us. God, we are so blessed by you that we get to move from law to grace and that we get to use our freedom in your grace to serve one another. God, help us, help us with that struggle 
to find that agape love, that hard choice love, to elevate others above us, to choose joy when we could choose other, to choose peace when we could choose division. God, help us to be people who reflect the fruits of the Spirit that live inside of us. God, we thank you for the power that is ours in Jesus. And we ask that you would help us to be people who build our legacy on the fruits of your Spirit. And we thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great night, you guys.